Hello, and welcome to the Q&A Quest, episode 139. I'm your not-tired-this-time host, Mike Apps, a.k. Wheels, and with me as always... Uh, Butcher of Blaviken, David McBurney, Fable Master. And alone at home for a change, uh, your man in Japan, Michael Baker, Gaiji Monogatari. Yep. Yep. Well, our cast is significantly less cute than usual, but we'll have to live with that. Oh, and Mary, oh, well, yes. Mary Sagamus to all, and to all a good saga. Just happy Pocky Day to you guys, because I think it's still a Pocky Day over there. Mm, yeah, yeah, 11-11. Yep, 1-1 one, one slash 1-1, one, one. that's five vertical lines in a row. If you're eating five Pocky at once, you might, uh, you know, you might have a problem, but still. Yeah, not enough Pocky. <laughs> you could have more. Okay, I was double-checking the sound again. Uh, oh, sweet, okay. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, so, how's it going, you guys? How's the last week been? <laughs> been okay. We also spent sleeping, and we'll continue to sleep. Yes, it's been the... Not the youngest child, no, no, the, the older children are wearing me out. <laughs> mm-hmm. The youngest child gets to wear your wife out. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but otherwise uh, isn't moving enough to wipe anything out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I've been playing Luigi's Mansion with, the, with my eldest, or as he calls it, Luigi's Haunted Mansion. I mean, it is haunted. It's not actually a mansion this time, but it is haunted. It's a pretty rad hotel. Yep. Imagine having a hotel of this size with this many strange amenities as, uh, in <laughs> Luigi's Mansion 3. And I'm just waiting to the time I can actually play number 3. I've got number 1 on the 3DS right now. Yay! Oh, how's that going? That's, I was very fond of that when it came out on the GameCube at launch. On the plus side, it's got some really original individual ghosts. Mm-hmm. On the minus side, it's it's like... Okay, it is twice as large as the first level in Luigi's Mansion 2, but that's the entire game. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was a smaller scale game. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Luigi's Mansion was kind of interesting at the time because it was essentially as close as Nintendo was going to get to the classic style Resident Evil formula. <laughs> And it, it kind of is that, like, the actual structure of how you move through the mansion is actually quite similar. It's just that you don't have, like, ammo rationing or grotesque amounts of gore. So, you know, as similar as they were going to get. <laughs> I love the sprites in these uh, saga games. They're pretty fantastic. And this so far seems to be a pretty fantastic port, although someone told me people are complaining about the translation, which... They did last time, too. So. Well, con- and considering, <laughs> how, considering how bad the fan translation was, uh, you know, I, oh, would, yeah, I will the, take the whatever. The Romantic Saga 3 fan translation was always just, like, essentially one step above a machine translation, so... I'd even I, put I don't, it below I mean, that. I don't think I've yeah. seen a translation for that game in the last 20 years, because the first one was partial only, and hey, I was trying to learn Japanese anyway. Yeah. So I yeah, just took it off. Yeah. It, it was, I think that might be the same one we're referring to, although I think it did eventually become quote-unquote full, but it was it was like a 1998-era machine translation, so... Mm-hmm. 
It was uh, not an ideal way to read anything that you hoped to understand. <laughs> yep. So, you know, victory's yeah. where you can take them. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty busy week for RPGs. We got this. We have, um, you know, the new Star Wars game is sort of an RPG. Is it? <laughs> not really. You just wanted to think about it. Yeah. And, you know, I guess we got some Pokemons or something. Yeah, there's those Pokemon. I almost uh, introduced myself as Butcher of Blaziken, but decided that was too cutesy. <laughs> Monster. Ah, Blaziken sucks. That's right, it's better than Combusken, but Combusken is literally one of my least favorite Pokemon designs. This <sighs> awful combat chicken. The best is Decidueye. Uh, Decidueye is wonderful. Rowlet is wonderful as well. Yes. <laughs> Decidueye should have been in Smash. Just saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, what, uh, your score bunny, right? Yeah. Yeah. Grookey over here. Yes. Speaking of score bunny, I was taking out the trash before and came back in and my daughter was, uh, walking around the house with score bunny and a stroller. <laughs> <laughs> wow! It's like, uh, okay. Score bunny Thanks, is a precious girl. child that must be protected. <laughs> yeah. So, because of a school culture festival bazaar, my daughter has three different Pikachu's, stuffed Pikachu's from literally three different generations of toy design, so they all look quite a bit different from each other. And she has decided that one's the mommy, one's the daddy, and one is her. That makes sense. <laughs> nice. I understand that. It's classic I'm kid logic. If any of them is fat Pikachu. One is, actually. Excellent, excellent. I love that they returned that design just for the Gigantamax Pikachu. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the case of this one, it's because the tag on it seems to read 1985, um, 80, or 1998. Yeah, yeah, that would be around the time. The peak of fat Pikachu. Uh, we hardly knew ye. Let's see. Uh, as for me, uh, Witcher three, and that's uh, that's where poor poor Gaijin wandered into the conversation uh, before we started recording. But on the live stream of man wheels commiserating about where the heck we are in Wild Hunt, which is gigantic and ported excellently to Switch. Yes, like. I've been shocked at its the consistency of its frame rate, mm-hmm. which is to say that it is as exactly as inconsistent as the PS4 version <laughs> when I played that. <laughs> but which means that you know it typically doesn't dip below like 25. <laughs> no, and the where I would obviously worry about it in combat, I haven't noticed anything. Yeah, yeah. The the other places, the, the places you'll actually see it dip are like the places that are actually really populous, which aren't that common in the game. Yeah. Mm. Although I did have to dial the difficulty back because I was oh. getting wrecked. Oh, hard. did you play on hard? Of course I did. You absolute fool. <laughs> None of the Witcher games ever had good combat. They just had passable combat. And I would say that Wild Hunt probably has the best combat, but it's still, like, not great. It's just how you resolve certain kinds of conflicts. Yeah. 
kind of like played worse, played better. It's yeah. okay. It's uh, it's it's not the draw of the game. Like the game, the draw of the game is always the things that lead to the combat. So, hmm. but yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, I've but, also yeah. been playing lots of uh, Alliance Alive. Just got past uh, the big, the big battle, the big castle battle in the Ice Realm, which took me. Two tries, uh-huh. and the secret for the second try was I just so. Oh, I guess mild spoilers for this fight. So you have to split up into three parties. One like guards the top of the castle, and the other ones kind of move down each side of the castle, taking stuff out. So I made the party at the top just one character and made the other two like really strong parties and just worked it out so n- the the one person never had to fight anybody and then you know obviously they fight the boss first power up the other two parties and it was uh the, the point to make still being hard that you after fight, that <laughs> the point to make being that you fight the boss in three waves and the first yes. and you your general your average life expectancy per wave is about 1 to 2 rounds yes uh, so you hit as hard as you can. Yes, and, and pray. So uh, the second party uh, was my, uh, I would say, most defensive setup, and I think it lasted like eight rounds. Wow! It, it was a while, yeah. So that the the third wave, uh, I was able to just use all their supers, and that was it. Mm-hmm. But it still took all of them. <laughs> so <laughs> that. That that fight is ridiculous, uh, but uh, moving along from there and but it it feels like such an accomplishment when you survive it. Yes, <laughs> and and like the most crushing part is like oh you don't even kill this character they're just like oh you're pretty good. <laughs> the end. Yes. Well, at least the alliance is still alive. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Nice, yeah. Really enjoying, really enjoying it on Switch. Uh, kind of wish they added more, but I, I can't really complain. The game was great on 3DS. It continues to be great on the Switch. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully, I will be able to have a review in the near future. Yay! Here's to living the dream. Yeah, uh, I think that sorts out our usual uh, pre-show banter. So if we want to hit any of these uh, questions, sure. Uh, here's one from Budai, as usual. How do you feel about mana or magic points in the history of RPGs? Do you think uh, it's best as a resource, save for boss fights, something that's to be used? Any games come to mind? Generally not a huge fan of an entire set of characters just sort of not doing anything for most of a dungeon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, what, one of the better developments in RPG history was the concept of gaining back mana points mm-hmm. each round. Yeah. yeah. I like, mean, that's one of the things that the Tales series really brought to the table. Yeah, and honestly, just kind of got better when its entire combat system did away with the idea, but... 
Well, the thing is, that they keep sw- switching between modes. Yeah, so. yeah. Yes. I just think that the ones that don't take it out tend to be the least, less interesting ones. But Well, I think yeah. in, in general for me, I really like action RPG systems that don't that have, let you regain MP or have, I guess, massive pools of it because just the nature of how they play, you don't want to have to mash the boring attacks and only occasionally do something else. So Yeah, I mean, I can see how it came to be from the roots and Dungeons and Dragons style play, yeah. except video games are not Dungeons and Dragons, no. and the balance is completely different. Yeah, pretty much. And I think it took, it took way too long for games to learn that too. Yeah, well, hey, for at D&D, least they don't use fancy in anymore. Yeah, for D and D, it made more sense because, like, the idea was that you know wizards needed to be powerful, but they couldn't overshadow the rest of the party. So reserving them for reserving their magic for specific encounters made sense. But when one person is controlling all of them, it's just like, oh, come on! Why did I even bring you along? <laughs> But yeah, like I'm thinking of like even Dragon Quest, like in Eleven and some of the other later ones. Like part of the uh, like investing in weapons that are specifically like mage weapons, like wands. Like part of what they do is, well, normally you would never attack with a mage, but when you attack with a mage, while they have this kind of weapon, they restore more of their MP. Like, as a percentage based on how much damage they did. So there's reasons to get those weapons, and there's reasons to upgrade those weapons. So, I think that... uh, I was noticing that as I was playing Eleven. Let's see. I'm trying to think of other games that have actually done something interesting with the idea. Uh, Kingdom Hearts' magic system is fairly... Uh, interesting because like magic is primarily designed as like a supplement to the normal attacks like most of your attacking and dodging doesn't require any sort of magic and they sort of realized how much that meant that magic was just a quick way to heal yourself so like as of Kingdom Hearts 2 their solution was and this carried into 3 their solution became that it doesn't matter how much MP you have left. However much MP you have left, healing is going to take all of it. So it encourages you to sort of run your magic down before you heal and then use your healing and then like just let it recharge, which it does automatically in those games. An interesting attempt to change how, how the player psychologically uses magic in those games. And then, of course, they did the whole command deck thing, which just uh, sort of made took the same principle and applied it to every attack in the game. <laughs> Let's see. Um, speaking of applying it to every attack in the game, World Ends With You kind of does that, where everything is a different kind of magic that just all charges up on, at different recharge rates. Yeah, that game really uh, has a great battle system. It does. I'm still trying to think of. I remember, like, Final Fantasy 1's magic is amazingly useless, just to sort of underline this. How dare you! Yeah. Listen, the but, intelligence stat in that game doesn't even work. 
Yeah, I mean, Final Fantasies 1 and 2 were so buggy on a lot of things. And not telling you where the buggy parts were. Like, certain spells don't work if your character is wearing the wrong kind of armor. It's great. Yeah. I think, uh, I think Final Fantasy 2 might be the one that introduced MP to the series, but I'm not sure. It I was. Ever... Okay. It was. Uh, Final Fantasy 1 used a Vancian. Because 1 has Vancian. Yeah. yeah, I just wasn't spell sure. Levels. Was. Yeah, and like because of the fact that intelligence doesn't do anything, like the natural attempt to like there is a natural attempt like you're still getting level one char like a bunch of level one charges by the end of the game but because your intelligence doesn't do anything, it's worse than useless to actually use any of those charges end game. Mm -hmm. And then of course there's just like it the balance is all out of whack. I think uh, I think the spell to cure poison in NES Final Fantasy costs as much as like 45 antidotes and that's probably more than you're ever going to use <laughs> yeah uh, so yeah like that Final Fantasy 1 famously a balance mess mm -hmm. but yeah I've, I've just I've never enjoyed the idea of having to hold one character back until a boss fight, at which point they suddenly become the most important character. And if you're if you're making magic powerful enough to actually make it worth holding back and treating as a resource, that's kind of what you've had to do. Mm-hmm. Yep. You better find ways of getting lots of restra restoring potions. Yep, yep. And that also combines with the fact that games usually want to make them special, so they usually... Yeah. Well, that's one thing that the, that Romancing Saga 2 and 3 were pretty good about, was that you could find SP or skill point and jutsu point, art point restoring potions fairly easily. In fact, I think in Romancing Saga 2, they just kind of accumulated in your castle inventory. You just go back after a few generations yeah, and realize, yeah. oh, yeah, I've got a lot of these things. Yeah, because yeah, like, Romancing Saga 2 felt like a game designed around the fact that a lot of people eventually aren't able to progress in these games, so we needed to make a failsafe for them. <laughs> it's kind of built around the thing of if we, if we allow them to basically play parties instead of a specific character and then just send them back to the castle every time everyone dies, we can just keep yeah. adding on the difficulty for fun. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that too, and I'm I, still convinced that the Romancing Saga trilogy was based off of Kawazu's personal Dungeons and Dragons settings. I believe oh, definitely. It. I mean, they, gonna... those just look like they should be a campaign setting or three. <laughs> I noticed you uh, uh, stumbling over how to translate uh, WP, which is amusing to me because I just remember playing Saga Frontier and them not translating WP and me being very confused when I found out that it was short for Waza Points. Yes. Waza Points. Like, okay, is it Waza Point or is it Technique Point? Is it Jutsu Point or is it Skill Point? I keep forgetting. I just know WPJP. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's, that's faster. That's better. But, yeah, uh... Just, just think of it as, like, technique points. <laughs> but, yeah, they just didn't bother, which was a weird choice, but also very much a, this game is coming out in 1998 choice. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... 
Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, the follow-up question uh, Buddha I had that was the same post, but does not seem to be related, but still. Uh, do you think blank slate characters can work because people give them their own personalities? I mean, that's probably the idea, it, but I feel like... If, hmm? It... it it works better in like the Persona games because they actually bother to give the secondary cast or the supporting cast much better personalities. Mm. They do that, but I think it's also just that like the when you when someone asks the protagonist something in a Persona game as of three, four, and five, they you don't get an implied answer. You get a bunch of options which hint at like kind of a baseline personality that the player can then embellish from. Which I think helps a lot because, like, you can you can imagine like how they uh, how their brain works, but you don't have to like listen to everything that they're saying. You can kind of fill it in, but they do still have like this sort of baseline. And I think that helps a lot is when you give or the other option is to give the player a lot of control over what they're saying, even if what they're saying doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, I remember. Uh, playing Skyward Sword, and that has my favorite Link in it, because you actually get a lot of leeway to have him respond to things in ways that are not that can be either very Link-like or not very Link-like. You <laughs> are the favorite. weakest Link. Goodbye. <laughs> oh, it's 2000 all over again. But I remember, like, because Skyward Sword, uh, one of the things that it always liked to do was that one of your options was always like you essentially had like a noble option you had like other options but you almost always had a lazy option <laughs> like when someone <laughs> confronted you with a question like there was usually that was like calling you to action there was usually one that was just like ah oh, but I'm tired <laughs> which you know that, that I can relate to that link <laughs> Skyward Sword has uh, underrated writing Groose Bruce is on the loose, man. I can't believe he was in no version of Hyper Warriors. Terrible. That was a tremendous missed opportunity. Yes. But, yeah, like, it was... I I really think that giving the player just enough, like, chance to decide what the character is saying, at least on a basic level when they're addressed, can help a lot for players to sort of accept that, like... They, that they are augmenting what a person, what this character thinks, and that they can kind of fill in the blanks. Yeah. Because once once you get to like the character literally never says anything and it's defined solely by the fact that the player is rushing them into dungeons, it can get a little harder because they just feel like a, a vector for player action. I mean, we can also look at some of the Bethesda games where they did pretty well and t- with this until they had to bow down to the pressure to include voice acting. <laughs> and then suddenly they had to like they had to cut down all character cho- or personality choices by a factor of 10 because they just couldn't fit the voice acting for every possible option. I remember the joke when Fallout 4 came out being uh, yes, uh, that your options to any quest giver were yes, yes but sarcastically and no. Mhm. And that that kind of was that game. <laughs> yep. And I I just remember people complaining about oh it's such a step down from Fallout Three and 
these were some of the pe- some people who were bashing Fallout 3 for not having voice acting. Yeah, mm. yeah. And it's like, you want your cake and you want to eat it too, but what you really want is your cake in a Star Trek holodeck. Because that's mm. the only way that you're going to get all this stuff. Yeah, they had to just sort of cut back on things that are more... The, the more out there options that most players will never take. Like, that's that's where that sort of thing leads, is that they have to try as, like, what are the options... Like, we can service the options players are most likely to take, and so you end up cutting off, like, the more interesting choices you could be making. And, like, that can work, because, I mean, like, I was just talking about enjoying The Witcher 3, and that's using... But that's using a character that you're sort of moving between aspects of his personality that they kind of had to have because they're set in stone by the existence of the books. So, like, you can treat Geralt as variously merciful and mercenary, and, like, those are aspects of his personality that you're kind of bringing to the forefront in a given interaction. But, like, when you're forced to do that with a character that you made, it just doesn't work. Like... At some point, they have to decide how much control to take out of your hands. And in general, I would say, unless you already have a character in mind, it's honestly better to just take out the voice acting and give me the (laughs) Fallout New Vegas Outer Worlds KOTOR uh, design. I'd say that the, the best example of a voice protagonist that I've gotten to use would just be Mass Effect, where they... Like, before that game came out, they were very specific of, like, well, Shepard's kind of their own person, which is was their excuse for why you wouldn't be able to go all out. Like, you could only be, like, good or a complete dick who was still trying to do the same thing as the good person. <laughs> as opposed to, like, something like KOTOR, where you could just immediately, you could, or, like, especially Baldur's Gate, where you could just go all out in the other direction, just not even really be even attempting to do the same thing. <laughs> It's because that, that level of freedom of action takes a lot of programming to pull off. Yeah, and a lot of writing. Like, a lot of everything. Yeah. Oh, man, now I'm just remembering the weird quirk of KOTOR, where the game wanted to give you options that would draw you to the center of the light side, dark side bar for some reason. So as you did, as you got more extreme to one way or the other, it would actually start offering you options that would be extremely the opposite direction. And it was just like, why? Like, there is no reason my character would ever do this. Honestly, there's very little reason that a character who was flagrantly evil would ever be doing this. I remember there's one where it's just like, you're talking to a crazy guy who's hit himself in a locker... And he doesn't really have anything. There's nothing in that locker that you need, and he, there's nothing implying that there'd be anything in that locker that you need. But if you're extremely light side or extremely dark side, it will give you the option to just stab him through the locker. Wow. I don't know why. <laughs> it, like, if you're especially dark side, like, you can kind of see, like, oh, you're just a psychopath. But for a very light side character, it's just like, why are you trying to draw me to the middle of the the middle of the morality meter? I don't understand. <laughs> Especially in an action that's flagrantly evil for so little purpose. Uh, yeah. Oh. 
So yeah, there's there's a lot of ways to make silent protagonists work, but when you do them, you if your game isn't sufficiently old, people are going to complain if they if you make a silent protagonist, they have no say over what they're saying. Unless your game's Dragon Quest. But yeah. even then you can still kind of, they still have the fun of always give, giving you the false choices. There's at least one in 11 where if you say no at the wrong time, one of your characters will just very, come as close as they can to kicking you directly in the head and then stop and ask <laughs> you if you've reconsidered. So, you know, the good times. Everyone play Dragon Quest XI. It's really good. <laughs> yep. But thou must. But thou must. I do also appreciate that any time that the official English strategy for any time something happened some time ago, regardless of how characters talk now, they will start talking like Dragon Quest One characters mm-hmm. in the English Dragon Warrior One localization style. Let's see, uh, get to another Budai's questions. Do you foresee all FF7 Remake episodes coming to PS4? No. Uh, I know we've touched on it before, but a lot of what goes to PS5 will be uh, on PS4 uh, in a lower form, most likely. I'd say that it's going to take a long time for PS4 games to completely disappear, especially because all PS5s are going to be able to play them. But at the same time, like at given how long the FF7 remake is likely to take to reach completion, I mean, they're not going to be making PS4 games in 2030. So, uh, like, depending upon how many episodes they're at, I mean, like, even 2026 seems like a fairly generous estimate if they only do, like, three episodes. So... I, I, I would fully suspect that there will be some that do not come out on PS4 and that there will be ways to get your data to the PS5 version, possibly up to and including uh, transfer it via PS Plus or just play the game on PS5. <laughs> Anyone else got a differing opinion on this? Or? Mm. I'm trying to figure out if I care. <laughs> An important first step to deciding if you have an opinion. Yep. But, I mean... Just looking at this thing and saying, going to the PS5 will be on PS4 in a lower form, most likely. That's assuming that any PS5 game is going to be maxing out the capacity of the console at the start. Or even by the end, really. But <laughs> Or even by the end, yes. So, I mean, it's quite possible that anything that they could make for PS5 would be fully playable on PS4 with maybe just a little heavier work done by the console. Yeah, it's going to end up also coming down to how much people want to optimize for the PS4. Because, like, that's there's a lot of PS4s out there, so it's also going to depend on how quickly the PS5 actually gets adopted. Mm-hmm. But, like... A lot of times, one of the things that you kind of can get away with if you're just taking something that would have originally been on PS4 and moving it onto PS5 is that you can get away with being less optimal about resource usage. 
And Which seems to be the biggest change between generations is how much of the what's the right word here the uh, well, the fat you can keep on. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those situations like I think you'll see certain kinds of games that end up being PS5 not because it, PS5 only not because a PS4 version would be impossible, but because it would take a lot more work to make it a lot more work and very careful decision making to make the cuts to make it work on PS4. Yeah. Uh, Unless they just made it for PS4 to begin with and then just found a way of emulating it for PS5 properly. Yeah, I mean, like, this is also going to end up, like, for FF7 Remake in particular, I think that uh, Square Enix's internal pride will cause them to, since this is a marquee title, they're going to try to see what they can max out, but uh, for most other things, I think you're going to see a continued... Uh, I mean, like, even looking at Square's release strategy for anything that is not a marquee title, currently what their strategy is, is it should release on everything. Absolutely everything. It should be on mobile and consoles simultaneously. There should be yep. no questions about this. Yeah, uh, I, think- I was looking through the Famitsu magazine from this weekend... Yeah. And Romancing Saga 3 was literally listed under every console in the t- the table of contents. Yep, it's uh, it's coming out on everything. Or like Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles Remaster, which is cross-compatible, like online, cro- online play cross-compatible between everything. Hope you want to play some uh, Crystal Chronicles with your PS4 friend, your Switch friend, and your iOS friend all at once, because... That's weird. Uh, uh, oh man, that just reminds me of I've been uh, I follow the Twitter that is essentially unofficially Akitoshi Kawazu's Twitter. It was set up for like the Saga 25th anniversary some years ago, and he just sort of occasionally jumps back onto it to confirm things or answer fan questions. And I found out that the exact same kind of obnoxious person exists in Japanese and English who, like, just starts complaining at him that he misspelled Steam or whatever in that tweet. It's just like, what? It was very strange to see a Japanese tweet complaining that he had spelled Steam wrong. No, wait, he had spelled Valve wrong. (laughs) And some Japanese tweet came in and complained at him, and he's like, oh, I'm very sorry, I did not mean to misspell Valve. (laughs) <laughs> it's like, oh man, that kind of dick exists in Japan too. <laughs> it's like, it's not that weird of a word to spell wrong in Japanese. V sounds don't show up that often. <sighs> yeah, uh, I, I think that outside of marquee titles, you're going to continue to see a certain streak of we want to optimize this to run on as many platforms as possible it should be like it might not simultaneously launch on everything because depending upon the size of the developer that might be too much certification to handle all at once but the you want to make you want to sell this on everything How does Dragon Quest make a basic battle system work where others can't? Hmm. Expectation. Uh, 
a good way to explain it. Like, I mean, it's also just that, like, Dragon Quest spent a lot of time... There's other aspects of it. It spent a lot of time refining that battle system. I mean, similar to how Pokemon has a very basic battle system, but it's dint of expectation and the fact that they've been refining it for 20 years makes people a lot more okay with it. Uh, Also, uh, I think Dragon Quest also kind of gets away with it because the output of any given action is much more variable than other games. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, when you cast a spell in Dragon Quest, it might do 20 damage, or it might do 60 damage, or it might miss entirely. Mm -hmm. And all of those would be perfectly understandable. But because it's such a high variance, like, you'd have to pay more attention to not just, okay, I'm going to keep using these skills because they're my best skills, but okay, how well are they actually working? How much of my maintenance do I need to worry about, like, uh, to worry about because the game is going, because it requires you to do a lot more on-the-fly thinking because you can't feel as confident that, well, I did this, so this will definitely happen. Be sorry, Tim. Monologue. I'd be happy to hear any other opinions or ideas about this. Mm. Tradition. Oh, Tradition. I mean, but, I was gonna say the nice thing about Dragon Quest again. It's it's um, I mean, it's almost the platonic ideal of a basic turn-based RPG in mm. video games. Um, I mean. They've added things, they've subtracted things, but it's really never not Dragon Quest. It's always like the the additions or subtractions are always things that you can still effectively use the battle system without. Yeah, and I mean, like we're we're talking about the early Final Fantasies issues with spells even doing something. And later Final Fantasy's issues with status effects actually meaning anything. Yeah, yeah, that's... Um, but Dragon Quest has always been pretty good about balancing out a lot of variety in what you can do to things in battle. Yeah. I mean, normally, I mean, for the longest time in Final Fantasy, most of the status ailments were considered useless at higher levels, so it was actually a shock when the boss of Final Fantasy Thirteen was weak against poison. yeah. When they when they made that sort of debuffer roll, they had to make it so that there actually were things that you would care to debuff. So. Yeah. So, um, but Dragon Quest hasn't really hasn't had that problem as much because there are a lot of enemies even at later levels where you can just make them start dancing <laughs> with a fairly good success rate. Yeah, yeah. Or they can make you start dancing, which is very infuriating in certain fights. <laughs> Oh, but it's it's also really funny to watch. Um, oh, absolutely. Like, every character getting their own different bad dance they can be doing is very much a mark of, like, Dragon Quest is fun, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of it is just simply sticking with something that works, something that mm-hmm. works well, and having a better 
concept of why stuff works mm-hmm. instead of r- literally reinventing the wheel every single time and seeing what you can do just for the hell of it. Mm-hmm. And like your your point about like status ailments not typically working in Final Fantasy or a lot of other RPGs is I think another point to like they generally pursue largely invariant battle systems where like if you do one thing it's either almost always going to work or almost never going to work if not never and like it's if you do something that say does damage it's very rare that it's not going to do a fairly consistent amount of damage and like that pursuit of consistency tends to iron out things that are designed to deal with inconsistency which status effects often are meant to do also i see you're playing dark souls now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how far are you in this run um this far i'll see that in a couple minutes uh yeah past the midway point gotcha and orlando or yep thought so uh but yeah i, I think the pursuit of largely invariant uh, outcomes uh, produces the situation where, like, you generally can math your way around having to use things that are not as consistently useful. Whereas with something like Dragon Quest, like, I'll still have to use sap throughout the game because, like, otherwise my other attacks just aren't going to be worth it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Ah, the the age-old debate, Budai asks. uh, Was PS1 or PS2 a better console for RPGs? Well, they both had a good number, but um, unless they were intentionally more pixely, like previous generation, then they were pretty crap on PS1. (laughs) There's a lot more weird ones on PS1, so that's what you're looking for. I think that's a matter of perspective because I've seen some really freaking weird ones on both. Well, bear in mind that I'm also talking about the... I, I'm always talking only about the ones that actually came out in English. So, True. All the really weird ones on both systems never came out. Yeah, <laughs> but like, you would, you would on PS1, you would get, say, Rhapsody, a musical adventure. Whereas on PS2, like, Nipponichi was only really making, like, Disgaea variants. Yeah. But then you'd get something like oh, Taisho Mononoke Ibn Roku which was kind of weird and had a historically accurate monetary system for late oh. 19th century Japan. Oh, that early sounds 20th century miserable. Japan. Yeah. That was fun to figure out. Um, Remember when there were denominations smaller than the yen? <laughs> I've got a couple. Um, yeah. From before the war, or during during the war, actually. So um, called like Reen or at least some of them were. Zen. Oh, so um, you know the, the standard Zenny for Capcom yeah. games. That is um, that's one of the pronunciations for that kanji. Oh, um, yeah, the Sen or the Zen or the Zenny. Uh, um, yeah, the symbols only used for stock qu- quotes now when they're talking about fractions of a or percentages yeah, of like, a. Yen. Yeah, it's one of those situations where, like, this was a small enough amount of money at after the war that it was not useful, but, I mean, certain finance needs to care about that. There's 
subcent amounts that also exist for those purposes in the U.S. Yeah. I mean, the thing there being that um, before the war, the yen was on parity with the dollar. Yeah. Yeah. With yep. a 1930s dollar. Or a 1920s dollar, actually. Yeah. Whereas, so, uh, yeah. Whereas now it's more more at parity with a cent. Yeah. And intentionally so. Yeah, it's uh, especially at the for at the time it was an export economy, so they wanted their, uh, and that's this is still the case. Like there are situations I've heard of where it's like the yen is too strong against the dollar is a problem. That would be why the uh, Persona fighting game was is the only one on PlayStation Three that has region locking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't you don't want your currency to be in that situation when you're primarily doing exports. Yeah, no, I mean the, the reason for that one. You remember that? Uh, I remember it being region locked. I don't remember precisely what was going on with the yen at the time. Oh uh, well, at that for about a year or so that time the um, the exchange rate was getting low. Um, like high enough in favor of the yen that cap or that atlas was actually afraid that Japanese gamers oh might they would import, import it American copies of the game and not have as much of a problem because it's a fairly low text game yeah yeah that was also around the time that they were really not wanting to include Japanese voice acting or text in any capacity yeah so, I mean, that's like the only game that they actually did that for, but it was specifically because of a fear that it would backfire on them for their Japanese sales. Yeah, this was, that's also a reason that, like, uh, I remember, like, that was a problem with uh, anime DVDs, or at least anime Blu-rays, I should say. Was, I was going to say DVDs would have been region locked anyway. Yeah, like, D- DVDs, Japan was fine, Japan was region 2, USA was region 1. Uh, but both Japan and America are like Blu-ray region A mm-hmm. and uh, that became an issue of like Americans will not buy anime at the prices that Japanese otaku will like, yeah there were a handful of experiments or with selling not, not very... just otaku um, just DVDs period are yeah. like 30 to 40 dollars a piece in this country yeah, and like there was, there were experiments to see if you could sell like really high ticket series that way in the U.S. Uh, trying no. to remember, yeah, it didn't work. Uh, but it was. I'm trying to remember what series in specific I remember that it was like this was popular at the time, and it suddenly was like there was experiments to see if they could try to bridge the gap by just making it way too freaking expensive in in America the way that they make it way too freaking expensive in Japan. And it's just like, no, no, it's just not happening. No one's going to spend $700 to get one series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that that, uh, that protection of the bottom line is the origin of region locking, and it's been interesting to see region locking go away. Uh Despite, despite that, I guess at some point it just becomes it's not worth fighting what is always going to be enough of a hassle to be a minority of consumers. But, but hey, I can I can get Blu-rays of old Japanese robot series for ten bucks. Cool. That's for me. That's just for me, basically. 
I don't think uh, I don't think anyone was too concerned about reverse imports of combat mechas of Bungle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, PS1 or PS2? Wheels. Mm. <laughs> uh, PS1 because it has Suikoden. Suikoden 1 and 2. The best Yeah, there, there are Suikoden's for, for mm. PS2. They're lesser. Mm-hmm. Especially uh, a particular one of those. Four? Yep. Okay, I wasn't sure if you were you were down with the usual crowd or not. Yeah. Um, no, PS2 has a lot of like weird 3D RPGs and a lot of just weird... you love you love shifters of might and magic. Yes. And my closing argument is uh, PS1 has a better mana game than PS2 does. It's true. <laughs> Dawn of Mana is a crime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Screw that game. Man, at least we didn't have to live with the idea. Like in Japan, you pick that up, you feel even more betrayed because it's called Seiken Densetsu Four. <laughs> Instead of Legend, yes. Yeah. Whereas Legend was like, I, I love that Legend is one of those weird ones where it's like the Japanese title adopts an aspect of the English title. It's Seiken Densetsu Legend of Mana. Oh, man. I love... There's, like, a handful of games that do that. I've ranted about this before, but I still love that uh, what's called Harvest Moon Back to Nature in America is Bokujo Monogatari Harvest Moon in Japan. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Long before Capcom made the clever idea that they could call Resident Evil 7 and subtitle it Biohazard... (laughs) They did that again, actually, because Resident Evil 2 Remake in Japan is called Biohazard Re-2. The second, it's the remake of 2, so it's Biohazard Re-2. It's, uh... They, they love that. They're weird, and I love it. <laughs> but, yeah, I think, I think I find the PS1's library for these as far as English ones the PS1's is weirder so I'm drawn to it more but the PS2's good ones are generally better (laughs) (laughs) and of course there's nothing like my beloved .hackgu on PS1 ah good times one day you'll finish the latter two of those yes and one day I'll finish uh, the new fourth episode that they added for the (laughs) PS4 version you know what Hey, Bandai Namco, put that on Switch. There's no there reason go. that ban- that dot hack GU last week code can't be a Switch game. Mm-hmm. And every reason that it should be. Let's see. Ah, Wheels is downloading data. Why did you did you just buy something while we were while you were streaming? No. What are you downloading? It's a patch. Okay. A patch <laughs> to enter the gungeon. Oh yeah. Enter the gungeon. Do, 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 Why are you that the, like the theme, the tune of "Smoke on the Water"? I have no idea. Enter the gungeon. Blow up all the time. Well, if we don't get content ID, it won't be for lack of trying. 
Okay. Damn, damn scan podcast audio for that crap. It feels like they should. They probably uh, should. I don't think they do. But then again, they've never stopped the fact that you that we use, uh, you know, not royalty-free music at the beginning and ending of every episode. All the time. <laughs> yeah. If forever, there, if at any point there is any reason to have a break in the middle of the episode, we also... You know, use not royalty-free music there as well. Um, let's see. Anyway, another Budai question. Yep. With, With next-gen next titles growing in size, as they usually do, do you think disk space and downtimes are an issue? Yes. Uh, isn't, isn't that what caused the reduction in the Pokédex for Sword and Shield? I don't think it's data footprint for Pokémon. It's just, like, logistical issues. We have almost I a mean, thousand Pokémon. Yeah, I was going to say, finding a way of modeling over a thousand poke or almost a thousand Pokemon in multiple forms, in some cases. Yeah. Um, I, I remember seeing a breakdown somewhere where it was like 95% of the Switches or the Switch cartridges' memory would have been just the character models. <laughs> Get that nice 32 gig card, make it real expensive. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely an issue um i mean it was an issue back on the game boy color with um gold and silver it's uh, um i mean which almost didn't come out uh, flashback yeah. last week's comment on like amazing feats of coding um yeah but i think like even if you approached like the ugh, excuse me uh the ps4 and x phone which are you know dealing with hard drives, soon-to-be-solid-state drives, and uh, frickin' uh, Blu-rays, like, we've seen games start to crest the multi-Blu-ray size, which is... Insane. Frightening. Yeah. Yeah, no, like, sit down, sit down and uh, pull out the second Blu-ray of Red Dead Redemption 2, which is just an install package of 50 gigs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Which goes like, to his next question. Do you think what was it? We'll um, see fifty gig plus patches soon. It's like we already do, don't we? Uh, yeah, for certain things like I don't know what goes into a lot of the like patch sizes sort of immediately ballooned the second they had the chance to. Which is to say, I remember when the Xbone had first come out and seeing patches for Dead Rising three that were like. How is this patch 9 gigabytes? What is it even changing? Like, this was a 27 gigabyte game. What have you done to it? (laughs) And it's like, I I don't know. It's probably something about the way that the data is... uh, The way that the data is arranged and, like, what all... Like, changing certain aspects requires, like, overwriting a whole bunch of data that would normally just be in the install. But... And like if I can only see that getting worse, and that's going to get terrifying. Like I'm trying to think of like the worst, like because like a routine patch at this point is like four gigs. I don't know what it's doing. Uh, so like I I don't want to know what like something that really goes hog wild with making updates is going to actually do uh, in terms of like how much of a download 
size it's going to be. Like, my internet's not fast. I'm just going to put that out there. When when also, there's a big patch, yeah. it's going to take me an hour or so. Lots of people have data limits. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Speaking of data limits, do we want to make fun of Stadia? Yes. Ooh, we do. <laughs> what, what about Stadia? They announced its launch lineup. It's uh, 12 games. Three of them are Tomb Raider. Uh, one of them is Just Dance 2020. Mm-hmm. Oh man, let me pull up the the proper the proper list. Uh, let's go. There. I sent this to Wheels earlier, so I can find it again. Yeah. Uh, let's so. see. Hmm? Mm-hmm. Let's see. Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Destiny 2, The Collection, notable for being a game that is largely free on most platforms. Uh, Guilt, which I looked it up because I didn't know what it was. It's spelled G-Y-L-T. It's the only exclusive game on here. I don't know what it is. It's apparently a puzzle game. Uh, Just Dance 2020. Tyne, don't know what it is. Sounds like an indie game. Mortal Kombat 11. Red Dead Redemption 2. One of the Tomb Raiders. Samurai Showdown. Another Tomb Raider, another Tomb Raider, and Thumper, which is a VR rhythm game. It's a VR rhythm game? Does Stadia support VR? Probably, but like there are non-VR editions. Like you can buy it on okay. your Switch. It's just that it was originally a VR game. Gotcha. Yeah, I just that's imagine subscribing to a store, and that being all you could buy on it. <laughs> I would cancel my subscription. <laughs> Promptly. That's, that's what your November is going to be if you're an uh, early adopter. They promise to have as many as 20 more by the end of 2019. So that's going to be kind of sad. Um, a lot of these sound like a dare about, like, we'll, we'll show you the lag isn't that intolerable. Because a lot, a lot of it, like two of these are fighting games and two of these are rhythm games. A full one third of these titles essentially won't work at all if you have any sort of lag. Ugh. So you know, I'm I'm fully convinced that they probably approached Capcom for Street Fighter and Namco for Tekken, and both of them wouldn't give them the time of day. It just seems likely based on the fact that Samurai Showdown is there, which I like Samurai Showdown, but SNK is definitely not uh, the first company you seek uh, to get licenses from in this day and age. Rip the stadia. (laughs) Oh, man. So are we betting 18 months? Sounds about right. Yeah, 18 months sounds like about as long as Google will let that hemorrhage money. But hey, you won't have to download the uh, patches yourself, but you will have to download the game. Constantly. Without any sort of interrupt. It's fine, you can go play Destiny with no one. Who the hell's going to be playing that version? I mean, I I assume that it's just the PC version. If you can't play it with non-Stadia players, that sounds like the saddest. I'm pretty, sh- pretty sure they said it was its own version. <laughs> no, really? <laughs> pretty sure. Why? <laughs> okay, I'm googling St- Destiny 2 Stadia crossplay. Oh my god! 
the Google Stadia version of Destiny 2 will be, quote-unquote, its own ecosystem and will not support cross-play of any kind. <laughs> what? <laughs> this is what we call a stupid marketing decision. <laughs> oh, my uh. <laughs> Destiny General Manager Mark Noseworthy has clarified on Twitter that there is no policy or technological barrier preventing crossplay with Stadia, and that if and when Bungie implements it, it will aim to bring it to all platforms. <laughs> oh, it's going to be abandoned to start with. That's going to be amazing. <laughs> oh, I'm so into this. Oh, I remember this game. This game's neat. Uh, Wheels is currently playing a game whose uh, name... Yeah, Flunthook. Yeah. Sort of a procedurally rogue, generated thing. Roguelike space pirate game? Yeah. Cool. It's neat. It gets past my initial dislike of the phrase roguelike, so, you know, there's your recommendation. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Flunthook. But yeah, no, I just I just needed to to bring Stadia up to dunk on it a little bit, so it's trash garbage. Yeah, yeah, kinda. Uh I think that about does it for us though. Unless we got uh, something else we want to discuss. Well, how about this? With if uh, if actual size is getting to be that much of an issue, do you think that there will be another boom for smaller game creators again? I mean, we're kind of still in the middle of that, so... I mean, yeah. I hope so. <laughs> or do you think it will continue? I think it will continue, yeah. Yeah. Especially because, again, a lot of places want to target as many platforms as possible, so if you can make it hit mobile, it's going to be have a small data footprint anyway. <laughs> mm -hmm. At least, unless you're insane. <laughs> I was also thinking like um, one of the uh, one of the good things about the switch is its ability to just be turned on. Yeah, I saw someone mention not long ago that one of the things they liked about it that I hadn't realized how accurate this sounds is that it's like having a book just on you because it's so easy to just sort of put it to rest and then like. All the consoles nowadays, you can put it to rest and bring it back up, but it's a lot more of a production to bring back up a PS4 or X-Bone game, whereas you turn on the Switch, you tap a couple, you tap a button three times so it knows you didn't do it by accident and you're back in the game. And it's like, it's like yeah, I know I've to... mentioned this on the podcast before. Mm -hmm. So, uh, maybe a year ago, even. Yeah, it was something that I heard the metaphor again, and I was like, yeah, no, that's good way of putting it. It's like just being able to set a book down and pick it back up and read a few pages. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's kind of the appeal to all these crazy switchboards too. Like it's and it seems like they're all selling because man, that Doom port still sells for over fifty bucks. And that's pretty old at this point. <laughs> that might also just be Bethesda being crazy, but uh, maybe, but the, that's not just Bethesda, that's like the second hand market too. Like that, yeah, yeah. That game evidently, has retained its value. Yeah, evidently people will still pay for it at that price, which it's I mean, crazy. That's, that's something. I need to pick up Wolfenstein. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that we'll continue to see, especially anything that isn't going for the top of the top of the line, 
we'll continue to try to keep that uh, sort of lower footprint so that it can run on as much as possible. Gotta gotta get the people who have kind of the low end smartphones as well, at mm-hmm. least as much as you can help it. But yeah. Uh, otherwise, kind of angle for that Fortnite market. Oh man! Now I'm just remembering when the crossplay for that first started, and it did seem like the most insane idea in the world. But just like seeing people playing on like console or PC. Just spamming the dance emote while someone playing on mobile tried desperately to actually hit them. (laughs) (sighs) That was magical. I didn't know what Fortnite was at that point, but the gifts were funny. By the way, some first grader is telling my son about Fortnite, because apparently he's playing Fortnite already, and that pisses me off. (laughs) I can't believe Wheels has not gone full, like... You, he is a bad influence. You will not talk to him. <laughs> no, I've I've held it in. I've just asked him to. Toys R Us over here has Fortnite themed toys. Oh, there the other Action here. Figures. They're here too. Yeah. I still remember that time that I was in like a a Kinokuniya in Seattle and seeing like it, one of the ways that I can tell that like something a western game penetrated into japan is like whether i when i go to someplace like that and look at the game related books and see japanese guides for a western game and like the first time i saw that was in like 2014 when i saw a japanese minecraft guide (laughs) i remember seeing a japanese guide to scott pilgrim versus the world for the, the video game nice yeah i never actually had a chance to play that game it's cute. It's River City Ransom. Uh, but yeah, and now it's not possible to get anymore, actually. I know, yeah. that's why I can't play it. Yeah. Ubisoft, uh, the earthly remnants of Oni Press, Anamanaguchi, get together and uh, get together and port that game to everything modern. Yes, please. But, oh, man. Yeah, it's weird to think how... Uh, how completely like that that was a really neat game had hired had some really nice sprite art hired a an indie band to do its soundtrack and it's just gone completely gone it's way neater than Fortnite and it's stupid freaking dances you you're officially an old man yelling at a class right now i need someone to name names who taught my son the floss dance? <laughs> Not happy. <laughs> to be fair, Fortnite stole that from someone anyway. Get off my lawn. Yeah. <laughs> I'm forcibly just reminded of a line from a TV show where it's just like, the game is over, I'm going to kill you for real now. <laughs> I want. I demand answers, I want names. Uh, yeah. I think we've run our course, especially because Wheels is now playing Overwatch. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, any plugs we want to make before we hit the trail? Buy Alliance Alive. Coming soon, coming soon to PC, too. You yeah. have, your excuses for not buying it have officially run out. It's on it's... everything except for your X-Bone. <laughs> Buy it. Well, I mean, if you look at 
Romancing Saga 3, go buy that one too, because oh, it is true. literally on everything, yes. including <laughs> Even all on your Xbox. Phone. Yeah. your phone, your tablet, whether it's iOS or Android, your Vita, it's on your fucking Vita. <laughs> the only thing it's In not English. on is 3DS, yes. which is kind of sucks, but oh well. Yeah, it's a shame. Because why the heck not? I mean, granted, there is one Vita game left on the um, on the reservations board at my local game store. I'm very curious. It's coming out later this month, and the last 3DS game was officially released back in May. Yeah. So, but yeah, here on Dengeki we have let's see uh, HD remaster of Romancing Saga 3, PS4, Vita, Switch, Xbox One, PC, iOS, and Android. <laughs> It's got its own little rainbow of, of uh, tags on it. A beautiful, a beautiful cooperation that shows that you can play Romancing Saga and enjoy Kawazu wherever and whenever. Can't do that with Charlotte Grace. The Vita version's not coming here, but uh, yeah, as long as A version our... comes, it's all yeah. I care. It's the, I assume there's iOS and Android ones for that one. I believe so. It was originally an iOS and Android production, I think. No, it was originally a Vita game for Scarlet Grace. I know, because Scarlet Grace has some some elements to it that make me think it was might have been developed for smartphones originally. Yeah, but I, I mean in terms of what it actually came out on. Yeah. Okay, yeah, iOS and Android are confirmed to get the Ambition version in English, so... Sweet. Apply that on everything. I'll, I'll buy it. I'm still baffled by their choice to make both of them $30 rather than, like, maybe one of them 20 and one of them 40 that, Let me tell you how that would break down. Yeah. I mean, so. I, I can't judge because I'd buy them for, like, $80, so... <laughs> it doesn't really matter they, 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 the, the Switch version and I presume all the other versions are, uh, for Romancing Saga 3, are 20% off until December, so... Yeah, I got mine for 23 bucks today. Twenty three dollars and nineteen cents. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah, yeah, that's a good price for a good game. Uh, who did? Oh, I should ask before we finish. Who did you pick as your first character? Uh, what was her name? Ellen. Fair enough. Okay. So one of the main cast, um, yep. not one of the ones where it gets weird. Nope. <laughs> we'll have more to be. Yeah. Able so to yeah, for anyone who has not played the game before. Um, there's about five char- four or five characters of the main ones who all, all start the same area, more or less, including Monica, who starts a little before, but she gets in with everyone else. But if you choose Mihail, then you get a different beginning and a different sub-battle, or a secondary battle system, if you want. And if you start as Katrina, you get a completely different plot line. <laughs> so. That's Kawazu! Yep. And also, Katrina's not recruitable by anybody else outside of Mihail's opening section. That's so. cool, too. Yep. It's, uh, it's a weird game. Uh, yeah. Well, if you, were, believe... if you were weirded out by two, this one feels a little bit more conventional. For good and ill. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I still can't believe that some version of all three romancing sagas is now available in English. It's weird. Yep. 
Like, that is completely crazy to me. And if you had told me that five years ago, I would have said that you were attempting to sell me something and that it was not legitimate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yet, here we are. What a beautiful... Well, we've taken the good with the bad, but at least this aspect of the world can be beautiful. But, yeah. Otherwise, uh, I guess questions go to the usual places ask us about saga we've we're always looking for an excuse to devote an entire episode to rambling about saga mm-hmm. <laughs> as we have done in the past and we'll do again yes we have we're also here to answer many of your alliance alive questions which is effectively saga talk anyway yeah saga adjacent not that adjacent yeah but adjacent enough they're like second cousins once removed. Step ch- um, stepson or stepchildren. Yeah, but they get along just fine. Uh, but yeah, uh, questions and comments in the usual places on the Discord in the comment section of the most recent episode, and uh, otherwise, I guess that does it for us. <laughs>